Hey, veterans. Welcome to the VA Claims Insider Podcast. We are veterans helping veterans get the VA disability rating and compensation you deserve. I'm your host, Air Force Service Disabled Veteran Brian Reese, and each week we share VA disability claim tips, tricks, strategies, and lessons learned to help you win, service connect, and get rated at the appropriate level, even if you've already filed or been denied. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. What's up, insiders? My name is Rob Nichols, and today we're going to be going over how to increase your chances to win your HLR or BVA appeal. All right, so our disclaimer, we are not accredited agents, VSOs, attorneys, or any other entity recognized by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA, and we are not affiliated with the VA in any way. VA Claims Insider is an education-based coaching and consulting company for disabled veterans exploring eligibility for increased VA disability benefits and who wish to learn more about that process. VA Claims Insider also connects veterans with vetted independent medical professionals in our referral network for medical examinations and independent medical opinions, IMOs, for a wide range of disability conditions. All right, so we just went over the disclaimer. Um, what we're going to go over today is the important sections of an HLR appeal, which is a higher level review, and also the BVA appeal, so, and that's a Board of Veterans Appeals. We're going to go over the importance of an IMO, which is an independent medical opinion. We're going to also talk about the legal and administrative argument and how that ties into those HLR and BVA appeals. And we'll also talk about CFR laws and regulations and how to utilize those for your HLR BVA appeal, what exactly you're gonna send in for your appeal and how to actually submit your appeal. All right, so first things first, we have to talk about what is the eligibility, right? So to be eligible for a higher level review or a Board of Veterans appeal is <clears throat> for an HLR, the, the new claim or the increased claim that you filed, um, must have been denied or you didn't get the rating that you wanted or the decision that you wanted and you have to file that higher level review within 365 days of the va decision letter that you got now for a board of veterans appeal you have to file for that bva appeal again within 365 days of the denial that you got from the higher level review now, if you're just jumping straight to the BVA, then it's 365 days from, again, the date of that decision letter from that initial claim that you filed. So just keep that in mind. If you file it on the 366th day, you're not eligible and they will not adjudicate that appeal. So I just wanted to make sure we go over that first and foremost. All right, so we're gonna jump to the important sections of the HLR and BVA forms. Um, one thing to keep in mind is um, on the HLR forms and the BVA forms, the, the first couple of sections, like I said, we're not going to go over um, because like on the HLR form, section one is your information as a veteran. Section two on the HLR form is the information 
if it was someone else doing it, not the veteran themselves. Section three is just the benefit type. So if it was a compensation claim, you would mark compensation. We're, we're, we're gonna kind of skip all, or we are gonna skip over those sections and we're gonna jump straight to the important sections, um, the meat and potatoes of your appeal per se. All right, so right now we're looking at the higher level review form and that's a VA form 20-0996. Now, section four is the option for an informal conference. Now, for an informal conference, Keep in mind that if you want to do an informal conference on 16A, you're going to mark that. And then in 16B, you're going to pick the time frame you want them to call you. Um, now, here's the thing with an informal conference. If you select an informal conference, the first thing is, is you go into a queue, right? Because everyone else that selected an informal conference that submitted a higher level review before you will have to be contacted prior to getting to you, right? So the other thing is they have to make contact with you, but they only have to try to make contact with you two times. So they'll try the first time. If they don't get an answer, then they'll try a second time. If they don't get an answer the second time, they can go ahead and start working or adjudicating your appeal. Um, but let's say you do answer, right? Here's the kicker about doing an informal conference. If you do an informal conference, the adjudicator is going to call you. And let's be honest, nine times out of 10, they're going to call you. You're probably going to be sitting in a restaurant, eating some awesome ribs, and they're going to be calling you and you're going to pick up the phone and you're probably not going to be prepped and ready. You're not going to remember the exact CFRs or laws or regulations or the mess up that on that they did on processing your, your claim or any of those important things that you need to have to win your higher level review. So my recommendation is, is that you do a written argument. You do a written legal and administrative argument and you skip this section. So you would leave this section completely blank because by doing that, you don't leave any room for error, right? And you wanna take that room for error away. Now, if you try to do your written and legal argument and you also do the informal conference, do remember and do take into consideration that the adjudicator can turn around and give more weight to your verbal conference than your written legal administrative argument that you're gonna provide them. So that's why it's always important. Nine times out of 10, you wanna skip the informal conference and you're probably not gonna have enough time to really dive into your arguments on your higher level review on the informal conference. So that's just my recommendation. The informal conference, you should skip that section and go and do your written legal administrative argument and submit that with your higher level review. And we're gonna go into that later on here in, in the video. All right, so section six of the higher level review form is really important because in this section, in section 19A, you're gonna list exactly what it is. In this section, be short, sweet, and brief. It, it, it has very limited characters. As you can see, it's a very small section. So what you're gonna do is, if you were say denied service connection, you're gonna say service connection for and list the disability was denied. Or if it was the effective date, effective date, 
was stated as this, and it should be this. Um, you want to list the specifics in there for for what your disagreement is. Now, like I said, be short and sweet. Now, one thing that this this a lot of people forget is if you read in section 19, it does say you may attach additional sheets if necessary, including your name and file number on each additional sheet. So this goes back to your legal administrative argument. You're gonna attach that to this form, right? So that's gonna be the meat and potatoes of, of, your, of your argument. You don't wanna try and put everything in here, right? In the small box in section 19A. Now in 19B, you wanna actually put in the date of the VA decision letter. You do wanna go in there and put that in. If you do not know what it is, call 1-800-827-1000 and ask them to email you a copy of your VA decision letter for that claim that you wanna do the appeal on because you really wanna put in, as you can see in 19B, it says it's required. So you do wanna put in the date of your decision letter. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but the big thing is you don't want to give the VA a reason to discredit or make you have to go back and refill out the forms, right? You want to do it right the first time so that they can go ahead and adjudicate this claim. All right, so now we're going to jump to the BVA form. So on the BVA form, section two is, now, now the BVA form is, is VA form 10182, and it's the Board of Veterans Appeals form. In section two, it's the board review option. Now in this section, this is where you get to select what type of option or appeal do you wanna do. Now 11A is what's called a direct review by a veteran law judge. By doing that, you're saying you don't want a board hearing and you're not submitting any additional evidence in support of your appeal. This is the quickest, fastest way to get your appeal done. By doing a direct docket review is what, what we call it. A direct docket appeal, it's, it's 365 days is the goal for the VA to adjudicate those, client, those appeals, or that's the goal of the BBA is to adjudicate it within 365 days. If you select 11A and you attach a written argument for it, I have seen these come back as, as early as three months. Now, does that mean you're going to get it at three months? Maybe not. But with direct review, it's within, it's within 365 days. Now, the second option here is 11B, which is evidence submission reviewed by a veteran law judge. So this option is you're saying that you have more evidence you want to submit to your appeal, and you have to submit your evidence within 90 days, but you don't want a board hearing, right? Now, here's my issue with this option on 11B. If you have new evidence that can support your claim and it's new and relevant evidence and it, it can prove your claim, you should be doing a supplemental claim. You should not be doing a BVA appeal. Because here's the thing, if you do a, a, a BVA appeal with 11B, the board nine times out of 10 is going to remand it back to the the AOG, AOJ, which is the agency of original jurisdiction, and which is that VA regional office that processed your initial denial, and they're going to tell them to re-adjudicate it with this new evidence. You might as well, like I said, do a supplemental one. It's going to be a lot quicker, 
And the other thing is with selecting evidence submission review, you're looking at anywhere between one year at, at the earliest, one year to about three years. That's a long time to wait, right? And if you have new evidence, it is better to just do the supplemental route. There is no reason to turn around and do 11B and wait three or four years to turn around and get a decision that's gonna just turn around and remand it back to the, the regional office. And guess what? The regional office is gonna turn around and it's gonna take them a couple months to process it anyway. If you did it supplemental, you would already had it processed within a couple months, right? So take that into consideration. 11C is a hearing with a veteran law judge. So 11C option is saying that you want a board hearing and you want the opportunity to submit additional evidence in support of your appeal. But again, you, you do get 90 days to submit that evidence, but why, if you have additional evidence, why would you not take the supplemental claim option, right? That is the best way of doing it because again, if you submit new evidence, nine times out of 10, they're going to remand that case back. Um, so for me, a, my recommendation is 11A with a written argument. If you have additional evidence, you should be doing a supplemental claim, not a BVA appeal, right? Now in part three of the BVA form, this is talking about what is the specific issues that you want them to adjudicate, right? So in section A for specific issues, again, be short and sweet. You just wanna say what it is. So if it, you were denied service connection for headaches, you're gonna put in there headaches, service connection for headaches was denied, or your PTSD was rated at 50% and it should have been rated at 70. Short, sweet to the point, right? Because your administrative argument is going to turn around and give that argument for you on why you should be at that. Now, section B of part three is the decision, date of decision. So that's the date either from your denial from your higher level review or the date from the VA decision letter that was sent to you from when you filed your claim. All right, so now let's, let's jump to talking about an IMO or a DBQ, right? So an IMO is an independent medical opinion and a DBQ is a disability benefit questionnaire. Now, IMOs, I will tell you now, in my opinion, those are your golden tickets, right? Because nine times out of 10, the main number one reason veterans claims are denied is because of lack of medical evidence, right? So an independent medical opinion or a disability benefits questionnaire filled out by an independent provider carries a lot of probative value, right? Now, I will tell you now, yes, you can try to get the VA to do it. It's far and few in between that you'll find a provider that works for the VA that will do that for you. Um, and if you do get a private, your physician to do it, um, here's the kicker. They're not unbiased, right? They're not an independent provider filling out the DBQ or providing an independent medical opinion. So they know your condition greatly, right? But at the same time, they're also biased because they have a relationship with you. They're not looking at the evidence that is submitted and just looking at the evidence, right? They're not, they're not taking all these extra things that went into when you, 
building a relationship with your doctor. So that's why it's really important when you do get an IMO or a DBQ done, it is by an independent provider, right? So that's something that you wanna do. So one of the things with independent medical opinions is independent medical opinions, they, they can be used for mental health, they can be used for anything, right? Now, the, the importance of an independent medical opinion is one, they're gonna go over your symptoms, the severity of your symptoms, and a good one is going to also give a good nexus opinion, which nexus opinions, there's, there's different ways they can be written, but from the legal requirement, at a minimum, it has to say at least as likely as not, right? There's other wording out there that can give it a stronger one, but where everyone forgets and most people mess up on when the, they're getting these independent medical opinions or DBQs done is it's the medical rationale. It's the scholarly research that is attached and referenced by the provider that justifies their nexus opinion. And that is what you really need, right? So if, if, if you don't know um, how they should look, definitely check out VA Claims Insider. You can always sign up. You can always talk to a coach and they can give you examples of what a good DBQ looks like or what a good IMO looks like. Um, and as we talked about earlier in our disclaimer, as we do have a network of providers that do this on a daily basis, right? So they're independent networks, they're separate from VACI and they are going to evaluate your, your medical situation and do a IMO, right? And they're gonna attach that scholarly research. And that's gonna be really important when you're making your administrative and legal argument. And we're gonna get into that here in a little bit, but the big thing I wanted to really hit on is when you're getting IMOs or DBQs to support your claim to give you that medical evidence you need to win, to have that golden ticket, it's more than just the nexus opinion, right? It's gotta be supported by medical scholarly research and widely accepted medical evidence, right? So it, it can't be something that's off the wall or they, they say, oh, well, according to this journal, that's 5,000 pages long, but they don't reference the specific sentence or paragraph that applies to your situation. That is not a good probative and strong IMO or DBQ. So I did want to kind of hit on that because again, that's going to be really important when we go to do this, your, your legal and administrative argument. All right, so in a, this is an example of an IMO and the diagnosis section is always important, right? So this is a, a mental health IMO. And in this, you can see that in diagnosis one, they have PTSD. Um, and it's kind of funny because on this one, you can see there's some, there's some typos, right? So you've got the PTSO, right? They didn't even do PTSD properly. And then you have di diagnosis two, which is somatic symptom disorder. So again, this goes back to, you wanna make sure you have a provider that is skilled in this. They, they, they've done IMOs or DBQs before, and they understand the importance of accuracy, right? And at the same time, when you go to file your initial claims and you're submitting medical evidence like this, you wanna make sure it's accurate, right? Because again, 
this is going to be important when you go to file your appeal because the, these are the things that you're going to be referencing. But the diagnosis section of your mental health IMO or DBQ is really going to be important because if the VA is saying you don't have a diagnosis or you have a different diagnosis, in your appeal letter, you're going to make that argument of, hey, my independent medical opinion that I submitted says I have PTSD and here's the diagnostic code. And they also said I'm diagnosed with somatic symptom disorder, right? So that's why your IMO is important because if the VA, part of that decision letter is saying you don't have a current diagnosis, here it is, right? So this is always an important part of your IMO or your DBQ, right? Is your diagnosis section. Because remember the Calusa triangle, one of the three parts you have to have is you have to have a current diagnosis. All right, now in a mental health IMO, there is a section that's called occupational and social impairment. Now this section is important because you wanna be able to go in there and say, hey, my independent provider said that on the example on the screen shows total occupational and social impairment. So the VA said, you know what? No, we think you only have occupational and social impairment with deficiencies in most areas. And that's why we didn't give you 100% rating. Now you can contest that because you have this IMO, your golden ticket, right? That you can come back to and say, look, I have an independent medical opinion and they stated my occupational and social impairment is total. Next section is going to be your symptoms, right? So like I said earlier, the important part of a DBQ and an IMO is going to be listing your symptoms, right? And the severity of your symptoms. So in a mental health one, on here it's section I, and as you can see, it has all these different symptoms selected. This is gonna be important because going back to the example of you filed a claim for PTSD, they gave you a 70% rating versus 100% rating, not only are you talking about what's listed here about the occupational and social impairment being at total, now you can also, you're also going to talk about these are the symptoms I have that you said in the decision letter I don't have, and this IMO or DBQ says I do have it. So that's why the symptom section is going to be super important when coming to crafting your, your legal and administrative argument, right? Now, the nexus statement and rationale. Now, that's important as well. So, like I said earlier, the, the bare minimum is what's shown on the screen that's checkmarked. Claim condition is at least as likely as not. It's a 50% chance or greater, incurred in or caused by military service. Now, the next nexus statement and rationale is very important, right? Because if they turned around and say they clicked the third option now that says it was more likely than not. 50% greater or greater probability incurred or caused by the claim in service injury. More likely than not gives it more teeth, right? It's better than at least as likely. But if you look at the second one, it says the claim condition is less likely than not, less than a 50% chance. If that's selected, that's a negative nexus opinion, right? So that's why the nexus opinion is important. But what's really important is going to be the rationale. Now, in this example, um, I only showed the first part of rationale because it was very long. But in here, they're saying the veteran's PTSD was more likely than not 
due to the in-service stressors he experienced, and then they go into the details of it. But that's where that rationale is really important because now they're justifying what it is for their nexus statement and how that nexus statement is valid. So that's always gonna be important. And that's gonna be also important when you go to craft this legal and administrative argument for your appeal, whether it's HLR or BBN. The other part is gonna be the certification and signature section, right? So this example is from a mental health provider section. You wanna make sure that, you're there, that you have the name of the provider. You wanna make sure that you have the phone number and fax number of the provider. You wanna make sure that you have their NPI numbers, right? You wanna make sure that it's digitally signed or wet signed. Those are all important things because that's what the VA is gonna to use to double check and validate this, this provider that they're actually licensed and that this is a good credible IMO or DBQ. So again, this is gonna be a section that you're gonna to wanna to make sure that when you do initially get your, your golden ticket, that it is properly filled out so that they're not denying it on, on your, your denial. But if they are, and this section's filled out, then again, that's, that's where you would do your cross-reference on your argument. So we've been talking a lot about, hey, this is your legal argument, right? So this is, this is really where we're gonna get into the meat and potatoes of this. So to start off, I wanted to start off with talking about the M21-5. Now everyone hears about the M21-1, right? That's the adjudication manual for claims. We're, we're talking about appeal here, right? So this is an HLR specifically. And what I wanna kind of point out is the M21-5 is the appeals and review section of the, of the VA's adjudication manual. And more specifically in chapter five, it talks about the HLR procedures. Now, the reason I wanna kind of talk about this is there's a lot of people out there who don't really understand what it is they're talking about when they do it, they tell you to do an appeal. They come back and say, oh, you can submit new evidence or, oh, you can't make a legal administrative argument because that's adding new evidence to your, to your appeal and you're not allowed to do that legally, right? Here's the kicker. If you are doing your legal and administrative argument on a sheet of paper, a Word document, text document, whatever, and you're printing it and you sign it and you're submitting it with your appeal, that is not new and relevant evidence. That is not adding additional evidence to your appeal. Now, if you put it on a statement in support of your claim, because that's a VA form, technically they can say that that is adding new evidence, right? But here's the kicker. Read this first paragraph. Well, I'll read it to you, I'm sorry. So the higher level review should, reviewer should remember that the argument is not evidence. The closed evidentiary record of the HLR precludes the consideration of new evidence, but it permits the consideration of a new argument. So the next paragraph reads, evidence is every type of proof offered to establish a fact. In an HLR, a claimant or representative may not introduce new facts or new evidence, whether medical or lay, right? So that goes back to, I talked about submitting a statement in support of claim, that's considered lay evidence. But the next sentence here says, when the claimant or representative attempts to submit new evidence in an HLR, the reviewer must remind the claimant or representative that the record is closed. If the claimant or representative still insists on submitting the new evidence, 
The higher level reviewer will, may accept it, but the reviewer will also inform the claimant or representative the reviewer cannot consider it. The claimant or representative may submit a supplemental claim based on the new evidence after reviewing the HLR's reviewer's new decision, right? Now, this next paragraph, it says, argument is the attempt to persuade someone to a particular viewer belief using reason or facts. A claimant or representative may properly add and the reviewer may properly consider new argument to pinpoint or highlight the VA's potential misreading of facts or its potential misapplication of the law to the facts that the evidentiary record has already established. So this is what I've been talking about, right? You can submit your written legal and administrative argument, and that's what we're going to do today, right? We're going to, or that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, so here's a copy of a VA decision letter. So when you're looking for the reason for decision, it's always bold and underlined, right, is what, what the claim condition was. So in this case, it's PTSD, which is currently 50% disabling. And then if you notice on the bottom half, so it, it goes through and it says, here's the effective date. We assigned a 70% evaluation for your PTSD. And here's the symptoms based on that rating. And then the next paragraph below that says the overall evidentiary record shows the severity of disability more closely approximates to the criteria of a 70%. And then below that, it talks about a higher evaluation of 100% is not warranted unless, and then it lists the symptoms. This is the important part of your IMO, right? Because, or of your VA decision letter, because this is what's telling you why they didn't give you that 100%. So we just looked at the IMO earlier, right? And it, it said total and occupational social impairment. And it had symptoms marked off with 70 or with 100% symptoms. But in this decision letter, they're saying they're only, they're, they awarded 70%. So they went from 50 to 70. And they didn't assign 100% for these reasons. That's the part that's important, right? So in your legal and administrative argument, what you're gonna do is you're taking that part of that decision letter and you're gonna put it in here. So if you notice right here, this is an example of a template that we have at VA Claims Insider. And this is a, uh, an appeal template that we offer for mental health, specific to mental health. And if you notice in the second paragraph there, it says the letter stated a higher rating for PTSD is not warranted for PTSD unless the evidence shows a higher evaluation of 100% is not warranted for PTSD unless the evidence shows total occupational and social impairment due to such symptoms, right? And then we list the symptoms that they put on their decision letter. So this is where everything comes together, right? And then below that, You'll notice it says, however, on the IMO signed by Ebony Knox, PhD on this date, it says total and occupational impairment. And then below that, it says in section nine, here are the symptoms that are listed. And again, this is just an example. So it's just, we didn't list all the symptoms, but this is where it all comes together, right? So when you get your VA denial letter, or you get your, your letter showing that you didn't get the rating you thought you deserved by the evidence you submitted, 
you get to make that legal administrative argument. And then below that, you'll notice that there's regulations quoted there. So on this one, it shows regulation 3.102, which is the reasonable doubt doctrine. We're quoting that. And then you could turn around and quote resolution of reasonable doubt. And then you could quote other, other references and laws and regulations that apply to your appeal based off of the evidence you submitted and based off of the decision that they gave you on your VA decision letter. So you put all that together and you form this template, right? Now, this is where it, it, once you get with, if you sign up with VACI, you become an elite member, you'll get an assigned coach and your coach is gonna actually help you and show you where you can get these templates and talk about what possible CFRs or laws or regulations could apply to your scenario that you could use in your template. The beautiful thing about the templates that they have in the Elite Experience Portal is that it walks you through step-by-step, step, right? So like if we look at this at the very top where it says one page and then it's got my name. And then it's got VA file number. And of course it's all ones, but your VA file number is listed on your decision letter. Most of the time it's gonna be your social. And then it's got your social, right? And that, that header will be on every page. And then it goes through and it, it walks you through the prompts, right? So that first paragraph on the decision letter dated 6-9-2021. So it walks you through, put in the date here. What, what was, was it denied or was it granted at 70%? In this case, it was granted at 70% for direct service. So that's what we put in there. So the nice thing is it walks you through it. But on your legal administrative argument, this is what you want to submit, right? Because this is going to give you so much of a better chance of winning your appeal than you turning around and trying to submit a are you trying to do an informal conference? Are you trying to do a board appeal in front of the board or virtually or submitting out their evidence? If you're gonna do a board appeal, do direct docket and fill out one of these templates, right? Make your legal administrative argument using the facts that the VA gave you. And the facts are gonna be listed in your VA decision letter. It's gonna tell you why they denied or they didn't give you that higher rating. And you're contesting that denial letter or that, that lower rating with your independent medical opinion, which is your golden ticket. So remember earlier, I said how that golden ticket, your IMO or your DBQ is so important. This is why it's important, right? Because you're gonna contradict that. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're, you're forcing the VA to basically reevaluate your, your, your claim and because you have credible medical evidence, they're gonna reweigh that evidence. And the beautiful thing is the tie goes to the runner, right? So if you have good valid medical evidence and you're making this written argument, contesting your denial or contesting the lower rating you got, showing that you have these symptoms because you have a valid, strong, independent medical opinion or disability benefits questionnaire, by an independent provider, you can turn around and get that equipose. They, they call it equipose where basically you've got two pieces of evidence, right? So you have the CMP exam done by the VA 
And that's typically what the VA is relying, the adjudicator is going to rely on most of the time. And then you have your IMO. Well, guess what? Because of those two, now the tie goes to the renter because your IMO is what you're arguing, which is in this case, 100% rating. Theirs says 70%. Well, guess what? That's a tie, right? So that's why this legal and administrative argument is so important. And you're referencing the laws and regulations. So the beautiful thing, the ironic thing about this is you're giving that VA adjudicator every reason on why they should approve your, your appeal, right? And that's what you really want to do. You want to set yourself up for success. Now, let, let me go back and talk about BVA appeals real quick. So one thing that I, I'm always, I always want to throw out to people is the BVA appeal with your legal administrative argument, you do want to turn around and do the same template for those, right? Now, the one thing that, like, like I said, I, that, that I'm always cautious about is when you're doing a BVA appeal and you're requiring or you're requesting an in-person hearing, it, my favorite saying is when you're doing an in-person hearing or evidence submission with, with a BVA appeal, you're sending your claim off to die, right? And, and the reason I say that is because it's going to be years before you hear about it, right? And even if you do win it, it's going to nine times out of 10 be sent back and remanded back to be re-adjudicated. So that's, that's why I say just do the direct docket. And if you're doing this template, there's no reason to turn around and have that that hearing or submit new evidence, right? All right, so now we're gonna jump to hire, should you file your HLR online with VA.gov? Now, the VA has gotten very tech savvy recently, thank God, right? We're, we're heading in the right direction. But this is actually what it looks like when you go to submit your higher lower review online. The one thing about submitting your HLR online is it does not give you the option to upload any files for your higher level review for your legal administrative argument. So my recommendation is, is not to do, if you're doing a higher level review, do not do it on VA.gov because if you do that, then you won't be able to attach that legal and administrative argument to it, which according to the M21-5, you're entitled to do, right? So it's best to either use direct docket upload or they call it the centralized mail portal, fax it in or mail it in, right? But doing it online, it, it doesn't give you that option. And I think the main reason they don't, they didn't have that option to attach files is because the evidentiary record is closed. And basically that prevents somebody from trying to add new evidence to their appeal, right? But just know, just because it doesn't allow you to do it online doesn't mean you're not entitled to it. So that's where a lot of people get confused because they're like, hey, I'm trying to do my HLR online. And if I'm allowed to make a legal argument, why won't it let me attach it? Well, when you're doing it online, this is the equivalent, the electronic equivalent of the VA form 20-0996, which is the higher level review form. So that's why they're not letting you do it because they're expecting you to type in your legal administrative argument in that very, very small 
what are the issues you're appealing section. It, it's not worth it. It's, you're better off doing either direct uh, upload through the centralized mail portal, faxing it in or mailing it in because you want that, that legal and administrative argument to be attached to it so that you can have a better chance of winning your appeal, right? All right, so let's go over what to send in with your HLR and BVA appeal. So for an HLR and a BVA, if you notice, I pretty much have the exact same information listed on both sides. The only thing that's different on here is the form, right? So for an HLR, you're gonna submit, you know, a copy of your VA denial letter or the VA letter granting you at a lower rating, a copy of your IMO or your DBQ, a copy of your signed, wet signed VA form 20996. Now, yes, you can sign it electronically. However, I, I do caution people to, it's better to go ahead and wet sign it because then it, it prevents the VA from rejecting it, right? Right now, they are supposed to be accepting electronic signatures, but again, you, you wanna give your best foot forward the first time and you don't wanna give them a reason to delay your appeal. So it's better just to print it out and sign it and attach it to your, your appeal. Um, and then also on your legal administrative argument, the most important part too is make sure that you actually wet sign or electronically sign your legal argument. And, and again, I, I, I recommend doing the, the wet signed um, because it, it prevents them from kicking it back. Now on the BVA side, it's, it's the exact same thing except for it's a different form number because for a BVA appeal, the form number is the VA form 10182. So that's the difference between those. Now, let me explain to you why I say to send them a copy of, of, your, of your VA decision letter when you're submitting your HLR BVA appeal because you don't want them to go digging through your case file, your C file, and, and in my case, my C file is way over 8,000 pages long. It's multiple volumes. I don't want them to have to dig through my claims file to find the one claim that I want them to appeal, right? So if I send in my HLR form with a copy of my VA decision letter, I'm making it easier for that adjudicator, right? Same thing that goes with your IMO or your DBQ that you submitted previously. By you resending it to them, it's not adding new evidence because remember that evidence was already part of the record. You're just resending them it to them because you're making it easier for them, right? And same thing with your typed um, legal and administrative argument. You want to send all four of those things in with your HLR or your BVA appeal because again, you want to make it easier for the adjudicator to look at your file and look at it and say, oh, yeah, here's the denial letter. Yeah, okay. Here's your IMO, DBQ. Here's the appeal form properly filled out. And here's his argument. Let me go ahead and adjudicate it. You don't want them to have to go digging through your file to find your IMO or your DBQ that you submitted on the original claim, right? So you want to make it as easy as possible and ironically give those adjudicators every reason to possibly approve your claim, right? And or your appeal. And that's why you wanna turn around and send those four documents in. All right, so 
for higher level reviews, um, I wanted to kind of go over some information here. So for the customer service number for high, higher level reviews is the same as the VA phone number. It's the 1-800-827-1000. Now, remember I kept talking about you, you can upload it on the, the digital content services or the direct upload thing. Uh, they also call it the centralized mail portal, but here's the actual link for it. It's the digital content services. You can also fax it in, and the fax number is 844-531-7818. Um, that's the same fax number that you use when you when you send in claims to the VA. Um, and then you also have, you can or you can mail it. And here's the address. So for the Department of Veterans Affairs, Compensation Intake Center, PO Box 4444, Janesville, Wisconsin, 53547 and-4444. Uh, my recommendation is that the fastest, quickest way is to use the centralized mail portal um, because by using that, it actually, I typically have seen it where it's within two or three days, it pops up in va.gov. So that's how you would submit a higher level review. For BVA appeals, now if you notice, the customer service number is different. Because remember, the Board of Veterans Appeals, even though they're part of the VA, they are separate from the VBA, which is the Veterans Benefits Administration, or, or they're part of it, but they're, they're separate entities, right? So they have a separate customer service phone number. That's 1-800-923-8387. They have a separate fax number. It's 844-678-8979. And then you can also mail it to them at the Board of Veterans Appeals, Department of Veterans Affairs, PO Box 27063, Washington, DC, 20038. Now, if you notice for the BVA, there is no digital way of doing it. Unfortunately, with the BVA, they haven't set anything up for that process. Um, but this is how you would submit your BVA appeals. All right, so everyone, it was great talking to y'all. Make sure you stay connected. Uh, here's four different options. We have our VA Claims Insider website, and you can actually go to that if you want, and you can check out our site. You can actually check out um, the Mastery Program or the Elite Program. The Elite Program is where you can get an assigned coach to help you walk, walk you through the process, teach, educate you on the VA process. Um, mastery Program is all self-paced, but again, both those programs will get you access to what's called the Elite Experience Portal. And that's where those, the templates that we talked about today are, are housed at. Um, so you can sign up at vaclaimsinsider.com if you want. Um, otherwise, we have our facebook.com um, VA Claims Insider. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on youtube.com slash VA Claims Insider and also on instagram.com slash VA Claims Insider. It was great talking to y'all and y'all have a blessed day. Thank you.